0: Hi, and welcome to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out and navigate and break through this ever-changing industry. I'm your host, Bridget Height, and you can support this podcast by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there hanging out, talking to industry leaders, and ready to empower you to grow your business let's get on point. Today, we welcome Sarah Turner, principal with the Faroad Group, and Sarah has dedicated her career to helping organizations tap into their most valuable resource, people. As a professional trainer, consultant, and executive coach, Sarah is passionate about helping people grow. Today, Sarah is going to share ways for businesses to find and retain diverse talent. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, so to just jump right in, how did you begin your career as a
1: trainer and a consultant? <laughs> I get this question a lot. And I have to tell you that I have probably the most non-traditional path to oh. becoming a leadership consultant. It's prob- it's what You would not imagine someone coming into the world of their working profession right out of college into accounting and then jumping to a leadership consultant is not the normal path. But it is exactly how I got here. And I wouldn't change a thing. I started out of college in a a world of professional services in accounting. So I am a CPA. And so I started at a large company called Deloitte. It's a large global employer. A lot of people are aware of it. And so as I started, I was in the traditional space where I was serving clients in the accounting realm. But one of the things that was naturally always coming to the surface was I loved finding out what our teams needed, mm. where their struggles were, and if there was somebody new, I was the person volunteering, can I help show them the robes? And so by the time I was probably a few years in, I was either volunteering or being asked to help with initiatives where we were looking at what I would call talent development. Okay. And so by the time I got to, I'll call it year five, I was already carved out some of my time with it external clients, but a lot of my time was with internal clients, our our staff, and it gave me a chance to decide how I wanted to take the things that I liked, but also felt like I had a a strength and a, a talent for and bring them to life. And so years later, here I am doing it as a primary career, and it's fascinating. You
0: seem it. very happy about it. Yeah, I mean, like, it, you're glowing. For those of you who cannot see Sarah, <laughs> she literally <laughs> glows when she talks about her work. That's great. Um, so what what do you like most about doing what you do?
1: Oh, that's a great question, too. <laughs> so a lot of people are familiar with the Clifton Strengths Finder, And so if you are, if those of you who have heard of it before, it helps give you a sense of who the elements of what I often call your DNA that come up the most that, that give you strength. Okay. It kind of gives you a label for what those things are. And so people who know me are never surprised when I tell them what's called your top five. So my, my number one is positivity. And so that's, that's something that I I kind of need to Mm -hmm. create energy. The second one is woo, which stands for winning others over. So anytime I have a person, I don't know, finding out who they are, what makes them tick is intriguing. The third one is communication. So finding a way to say something that makes someone wanna hear it, I think is amazing. The fourth one is probably the most prominently represented in my career, it's called developer. It's finding space where someone else with your help gets further. And then the last one is, is achiever. I just, I love seeing results. So when you look at these five things, this space, being a leadership consultant, where I work either with individuals, small groups, or with an organization's culture to help them unleash or reach potential that they didn't even realize they could get to, is an energy driver for me. Wow. I, it, every day, there's somebody different that I'm working with with a different challenge and decoding it and creating what I would often call the right path for them. It's so much fun. It It sounds like it's actually a lot of psychology involved in it, too. That's great. That's crazy. I can't tell you how many times I tell people if I had to do it over, Uh and I wouldn't change that I I have this accounting background because it got me right where I am now. But I I would definitely study behavioral psychology or organizational leadership. It's amazing. It's so great. Wow.
0: Um, So, part of your role includes helping businesses learn how to find and retain diverse talent. So,
1: why is a diverse workplace so important? When you pause and you think about the idea of if you have a diverse workforce, Mm -hmm. what does that bring you? Sometimes I think there's this amazing body of research that makes the answer to that obvious. And that's because there's so many statistics that show that it's a representation of positive recurrent outcomes when you have a diverse workforce. And some of the statistics that probably call to me, and and maybe it's because I have just a little bit of this niche passion for this, but even when you look at what you can do or what you can bring when you have a group of people that don't see something the same way, Mm -hmm. again, the statistics just show it. Every trackable metric that an organization looks at, no matter the industry, is gonna find that when you compare having a diverse moment with differing perspectives, at the table trying to solve problems, you're going to find those metrics go in the positive direction that you want them to go. One that I, again, I think about often, there was, I think it was Fast Company Mm -hmm. several years ago, did a study that showed when you have above average, and this is just one type of diversity, but above average gender diversity, you would have upwards of 58% higher success rates and trackable metrics than an organization that has below average gender diversity. And you think, that's not a tiny number, right? It's a very compelling statistic. If it were 8% or 18%, it may be something that you would say, well, we'll get to that. But Mm. 58% is huge. So again, it becomes compelling to see why it's a needed thing to focus on as a company. Man, definitely.
0: Yeah. so what does an ideally diverse workplace actually look
1: like? <laughs> right? That's the million dollar question. <laughs> and and if I had the exact formula, I'd have probably a best-selling book. But I think <laughs> the answer that I often would give someone is that there's not an exact replica that every okay. company needs to I guess, attain or reach for. But there are a few things that are important to focus on. And I often tell people that if I had to give them advice, I would tell them to strive for, at a minimum, a two dimensional platform. And and so those two things that I would share include being a diverse workforce, but also what is recently wonderfully talked about, which is also having an inclusive yeah. workforce. And so those two things, I think so many people say them together that many people think they're the same thing. I I yes, I can see right? that. Right, but yeah. they're but they're not. And if you look definitionally, a diverse workforce means that you have a variation in the demographics of the people who represent you. Okay. And that's as it for for many people, that's probably the one thing most people focus on the most. What is really important is that that engine be represented for sure, but you also want to make sure that you have the engine of inclusivity. As an example, I think about if you only assumed that diversity meant a variation of demographics, then you might miss the chance to realize that two people who have the exact same demographics could be very diverse and you miss the chance to include a person who on the surface may seem the same, but potentially because of where they grew up mm-hmm. or who taught them things or what experiences they've had, they could look exactly the same, but be a wonderful portion of diversity if you brought them in. So if you have both that concept of a variation of demographics and a highly inclusive workforce, you have these two really solid engines that together make more of an ideal space. And it helps you understand where you want to put your efforts if you focus on both of them. I see. Okay. Um, So
0: what are the most common challenges that leaders face when they're striving to build a diverse talent pool?
1: There are a lot. <laughs> I, I would say that the first one that comes to mind is probably assumptions. Okay. When we go into a opportunity to bring in and or unleash talent, it is very easy to see a element about a person and then say, okay, A plus B must equal C. And that's when that, that barrier pops up and you unfortunately don't yep. end up with either d- diversity or inclusion. One mm-hmm. of my favorites, and primarily because I can vulnerably admit I was this person <laughs> in my career. But one of my favorites is looking at someone's age. I, I look back at my career and I can undoubtedly say that people looked at me when I was very new as a person who didn't have much to contribute, right? Because you're learning, yeah. you're you're relatively, the, the phrase that comes to mind, green, you yeah. don't know much. And so it's almost like you get pushed aside, just watch for a bit. Right? Right. And, and when you get that target number of experience, oh, then we'll start including you. When in reality, that's not a truth. And that assumption that someone's age, for instance, would make them less likely to be a contributor, it's something that becomes a huge, huge barrier. There, there's this wonderful word, I wish I coined it. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> that I heard years ago called gentering. And gentering. I had never heard it before. And what it really refers to is reverse mentoring. And it's an environment where you say, how can I share and guide someone? Yes. But how can I always assume they have something that they can give me back? No matter who they are, right. no matter their background, yeah. often someone who's less seasoned than me as an intentional approach to grow your perspective. And I think that's such a great example. We we take assumptions and unfortunately, we we put them up as a barrier to creating that ideal environment. The other one that I think sometimes gets in the way, which is really well talked about these days, which I love, is we have kind of under that concept of assumption, but I'll call it misunderstandings, Mm -hmm. that often arrive because our lens is very set. And so when we think about what we believe Mm -hmm. to be truths, we might look at someone or take a moment and have that lens present and and not encourage or not pull in moments of inclusion because unfortunately that barrier is there. I'm going to use what is often called a bias to create my understanding or my right. opinion and I could be wrong. Yeah. And if I don't find a way to get past what is sometimes super subconscious, my bias, it's likely that I'm going to unknowingly really dilute the inclusive moments that I could have and so how should leaders begin to create a work environment that
0: is receptive to diversity
1: yes this is a place for great guidance and a great conversation and and I again similar to what's the ideal environment there's not one answer that works for everyone but the two things I most often share as mm-hmm. advice these are these are two great and probably never finished journeys. The first one is you have to establish an emotionally intelligent team. Okay. And there's a lot to that. Bridget, we can talk for a half an hour just about that. (laughs) But how do you unleash an emotionally intelligent team? If you focused on that as a leader, you would end up seeing naturally or organically a more inclusive, likely a space where diversity is coming to life. And so focusing on that is probably one of the first ones. The second one that I often share with people is intentionally trying to create what we often call a growth mindset culture in your organization so if you were to be very thoughtful very intentional Mm -hmm. about building emotional intelligence in your team and again a a nice parallel creating a growth mindset culture those are going to create traction and they will lead you to a little bit more of that predictable space of positive outcomes in in this
0: wow and that emotional intelligence thing is is fascinating because not emotionally intelligent people people that are you know i i find that a lot of the time those were not often the best students <laughs> right like uh, I, I i i was an emotionally intelligent child but like i i was so busy you know talking and, <laughs> and and figuring out the atmosphere of a room mm-hmm. that i think i don't know i i was often kind of looked over when it came to academics i was great at like reading and things like that but oh math oh math <laughs> <laughs> so it's things like that and like i wonder if i mean like i wonder how you teach mm-hmm. emotional intelligence because it is something that i feel like you're you're born with um either it's a you know
1: it's a scale you're either mm-hmm. Do you, and you feel like that you can teach emotional intelligence you to can, people? And can, you can. And that's probably one of the reasons why I have taken the last, and now people are going to know my age, but you take the last two <laughs> decades of my work and it, it's crazy for me to say, okay, now I've got 20 years of perspective just in this emotional intelligence space. Wow. So I have a, a little bit of a niche in this and that I am what's called an emotional intelligence coach. So I do a lot of EI coaching, but I'm also something called a master trainer, which means that I can give credentials to people who want to be an EI coach, which oh. is so much fun. And so when I look at the amount of anecdotal research I have mm-hmm. watching people grow it, and then also a lot of research that they've done, they have great resonance-based MRI research that shows you can reshape the center of your brain. Wow, It's the most empowering thing you can say out loud is that whatever you have cultivated to a certain point, if you take an intentional interest, they show great journeys and paths and aptitudes for you to grow your EI. One of the skills, though, that's important to create an emotionally intelligent team that you can build, which I think a lot of people assume they already have, mm-hmm. is the skill of empathy. So there's yeah. there's not going to be ever yep. a skill probably more important that an individual or a team needs to display to create inclusion and unleash diversity. When I grew up, and, and this is absolutely no no knock on the people who raised me but i was told that empathy was putting yourself in someone's shoes and i think it's a great phrase mm-hmm. i've i've in fact tried to in a lot of ways teach my two boys that same concept yeah. what i realized though as i started looking deeper at the concept of empathy is that that's not necessarily possible really if so and my example i often use and i hope he never listens to this is my 13-year-old son <laughs> If, if I really wanted to try to say, Sarah, think like a 13 year old boy, I will never get there. Yeah. I, I will never be able to replicate the way he's seeing something. Right. So I, I started to realize empathy is not having the interest of trying to become that person. Instead, almost a 180, what empathy really is meant to be is giving other people permission to have a point of view. If you can extend a person a moment to say, okay, you have a lens, I can't get into your lens, but I can hear your lens. So I'm going to give you a moment. And and you embrace a skill that I would say is at the top of my list. If you want to build an environment where you can recruit and retain, if your culture is these two words, you are going to win. The two words I would say you have to grow is you have to get curious. You have, to, you have to use okay. curiosity. And empathy is the way mm-hmm. that, you, that you get curious. And again, it's fascinating to me to help someone learn how to do that better. And all of us can. So one of the things that I was mentioning earlier is as kind of a partner to being an emotionally intelligent mm-hmm. team, you want to strive to create a growth mindset culture. Years ago, I was reading a study that was done in this space. How do you create a growth mindset? What do companies do to have their culture represent a growth mindset? And they were studying what organizations did and how they threaded it throughout what is often referred to as the employee experience. Okay. And what it showed was that only about 30% or less of organizations embed the concept of a growth mindset in four or more places in the employee experience. Now, what are those? recruiting. So mm-hmm. if I'm in an interview process, have I taught my team how to ask questions as to whether or not the person I'm hiring has a growth mindset? If I want a growth mindset culture and I want those people to come in and embrace being inclusive, right. am I looking for them as a person to add to my team by asking great questions to see if they have a foundational growth mindset? Right. So that's one layer. Now, once I get them in the company, am I onboarding them by training them on what a growth mindset is. Am I I saying welcome to this organization? By the way, we believe in a growth mindset culture so much so. We're going to train you on what that looks like and what you are meant to display and how you get there. That's another layer of the employee experience. Am I measuring people's contributions? Is it part of the performance process am I giving feedback and guidance and mm-hmm. what we often call feed forward? Am I giving you a vision of what that will look like? If I'm not, then how am I going to sustain and get people to feel like they really are included? And then you also have to include the the concept of how do you coach around it? There are so many layers <laughs> of how you can embed a growth mindset. but if you want to really retain, it has to be, not only said, Mm -hmm. targeted, but it has to be felt. It has to be real. And that is, again, for me, I see so many organizations lacking intentionality and they'll say they want it. But then when you look at the employee experience, it's not embedded anywhere in a transparent or intentional way. And so we don't really show it and people leave. There's a a lot of statistics around this too. Gallup does so many great surveys, right? And there was a survey that I read in the last few years that I think it was somewhere around 47, 48% of people didn't feel like they were in a safe and inclusive environment in their company, right? So when you say that out loud, you think, again, a compelling statistic, that's almost half. One out of every two people in organizations, again, this is just a few years old, would say, I don't know that people really want to know what I think. I don't know that I'm in an environment where someone wants to find a way to grow the kind of discussion by having someone who wasn't yet brought in pulled into the fold. And so, again, there are so many great opportunities that would not only help you get the right people, but then would also help you want them to stay. They would grow roots. They wouldn't want to leave because that environment is so engaging and so they would stick around but we're
0: we're about out of time but before (laughs) we close for today i have one last question where is your favorite place that you have visited and why
1: oh my word that's a great one (laughs) one of the things that i would tell you is that my husband traveled internationally for years when we first got married this is pre-kids <laughs> so we had a lot of flexibility and I would I would tag myself onto his agenda and oh, I would I would go and one of my favorite all-time places is Vienna. It is the most intriguing charming place and I think uh, going there and seeing the history it makes you realize how our perspectives this goes right back to the concepts of broadening our perspective you see a church that took, almost a thousand years to build, yeah. and you realize what I think is old and established history, there's so much more, right? There's right. always so much more. So I would say Vienna. That's probably my favorite oh, great place. great answer. <laughs> All right. Well, uh,
0: that was a great story. And thank you so much for joining us no, today, Sarah. You. I look forward to speaking to you again. This was fascinating. Excellent. Thank you for the time. Thank you all for listening to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out and navigate and break through this ever-changing industry. I'm Bridget Hyde, and tune in next time wherever you listen to podcasts as we get On Point. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. To get in contact with someone at Oak Street Funding, please call 844-353-8022. That's 844-353-8022 to learn more.